This is Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. Every week, we review an episode of the cult classic time travel series and decide whether it holds up to present day viewing. And hopefully, we'll entertain you along the way. Be sure to check us out on our website, fwwquantumleappod.com, and also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Fate's Wide Wheel. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, hey, hello, everybody. Hello. Well, we did it. We've, we, we released Lee Harvey Oswald into the world, and now here we are to start with episode two of season five. We are solidly into season five. We really are now. And, and what a change of pace with uh, our next episode, Leaping of the Shrew, directed by Alan J. Levi. This is his fourth of six episodes that he would direct for Quantum Leap. Interesting enough, it has been quite a while since we've seen him. His last episode was Freedom, which is season two. Um, oh, wow. So we got two full seasons with no Alan Levi uh, um, representation, if you will. Okay. Um, he will go on to direct Nowhere to Run, which, of course, is our very next episode, and also Blood Moon. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he would direct 22 episodes, actually, of JAG, which is... Um, I mean, that's such a decent amount of work, yeah. Yeah. Uh, He also directed a run of Lois and Clark, uh, Magnum P.I., Airwolf, The Incredible Hulk, including one of my favorite Incredible Hulk episodes, Metamorphosis, which is the one where he gets trapped um, in between. I wanted to love that one so much when I was a kid, but even when I was a kid, I was like, this is, that could have been one episode. (laughs) And they stretched it out into two episodes. He also directed a, a rather famous episode of the Incredible Hulk, Terror in Times Square, which is the one where, like, the Hulk rampages through Times oh, Square. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, just because we, we, we gave it some shade uh, last go-around, but uh, he also directed the TV movie uh, Knight Rider 2000, <laughs> uh, which was the first... <laughs> I loved Knight Rider 2000 when I was a kid. Me too! Me too. The uh, it was the first attempt at rebooting Knight Rider, unsuccessful, unfortunately. I think that would have been moving. that would have been such a good version, though. Yeah, they were they were going to hand the reins. Uh, Susan, I can't remember if that was the character's name or the actor's name, but they were going to hand the reins over to uh, to a woman, a nice new car, but with Kit's voice and personality. Ah, it would have been. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. It, the The car was actually I had a. A model kit of it, which is why I remember this. The car was actually based on the, the concept car, uh, the Pontiac Banshee, yeah, which never actually entered production. But uh, but what a what a beautiful car! Oh yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. Uh, our our writers are Richard C. Oakey and Robin Bernheim, um, and not having done all of my my due diligence, uh, the other stuff that I've seen um, from them. Uh, include um, more recently, wow, lots of really terrible stuff. Witchblade, 18 Wheels of Justice, Pacific Blue, Renegade, uh, Major Dad. 18 Wheels of Justice. Um, <laughs> most, most recently, Oki was responsible for a single drop of rain. Uh, he will go on to also write Starlight, Star Bright, Return of the Evil Leaper, Goodbye Norma Jean, and The Leap Between the States, so his fingerprints are 
all over season five. Obviously. Okay, all right. Um, he also would write quite a few episodes of Knight Rider, uh, Simon and Simon, and of course that critical darling here at Project Quantum Leap, Tequila and Benetti. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the co-writer uh, we have, of course, for this episode, Robin Bernheim. Um, Let's see, I don't have a whole lot, uh, believe it or not, on her as far as writing goes. Um, oh, I take that back. It looks like she wrote a few episodes of Star Trek Voyager. Um, Bernheim might have been her maiden name because most of the later credits, I think this is why I was confused, are written as Robin Berger. Um, so earlier uh, stuff will also include uh, four episodes of Tech War, um, you know, quality stuff there. Uh, she also will go on to write after this, Deliver Us from Evil, A Tale of Two Sweeties, Dr. Ruth, and Memphis Melody. So again, her fingerprints are all over season five as well. Uh, she wrote some episodes of Tequila and Benetti, um, Star Trek The Next Generation, The Hunted, um, which, you know, I think is... is kind of a take it or leave it episode um, so that's our that's our, our production crew on this one um the air date was september the 29th 1992 our leap date is september 27th 1956 sam has leapt into nikos tejados and they are in the middle of the central aegean sea uh and on an uncharted island that's yes. what we got but Sam leaps in. I think it's a, a first ever. He leaps in to the middle, like he's just midwater. He yeah. is solidly right smack dab in a universal backlot. <laughs> yes, he is. Uh, even uh, even as this episode aired in standard definition back in 1992, it was obvious that that sky was a was a backdrop. And when you're watching it in high definition. It's even more obvious. Uh, but it's a TV show. It's allowed, and we talked about this a lot last week. We are on the last season of Quantum Leap, so they, they were undergoing some budget cuts um, uh, at the show. But uh, Sam leaps in. He looks over. He sees a boat. He calls for help, and the boat blows up. And, yeah. there's, and there's a woman hanging onto a trunk. She's screaming, help, help. And you... You want to know how dedicated Sam Beckett is. He is drowning. He is drowning. It's storming. He's not drowning, but like he's like he's doing his best to stay afloat. He is swimming to rescue someone. And you know what? He still has the energy to do. (laughs) He still has the energy to say, oh, boy. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. But then, you know, go ahead. I was just going to say, I really like this leap in, actually. I think um, one of the things that we missed a lot in season four, um, and we even mentioned this towards the end of season four, is that there weren't a lot of like high stakes leap ins. Mm-hmm. A lot of the leap ins were, you know, a little bit more mundane, a little bit more everyday, still, still terrifying in some instances. Stand up comes to mind being on stage and not knowing, you know, what the hell you're doing or whatever. But there, you know, the stakes didn't seem quite life or death. Whereas this one, you're just sort of like, Oh man. Um, and I think it's also interesting because since we didn't get the leap out from Lee Harvey Oswald to, to kind of take yourself back to 1992 tuning in and this is the first thing you see I think is uh, is pretty cool so so I, I, I gotta give him a thumbs up on the leap in that that is that is fair that is fair oh I'm just, I'm just gonna put it you're gonna have to edit this right now because I'm not sure if I got the the, the season five queued up here uh, uh, 
it's all right because because what I was about to say is is immediately after we get that oh boy yeah unlike last time around where I felt a little like yeah I know this is coming you know okay yeah that's new that's different Jess was here so she heard it with me this time it was so freaking jarring to hear that new theme music and if it wasn't just the situation itself that Sam's leap that Sam leaps into that tells us we're in a high stakes situation we have this. It's Quantum Leap, fucking Quantum Leap. Please watch us so we don't get canceled. <laughs> Dennis, did that work? Did the theme did the theme music keep people tuned in? <sighs> Alas. But <laughs> this episode did have eleven point six million viewers. Two more million than the than the actual Lee Harvey Oswald episode. Yeah, we mentioned this last time around. I do wonder how much of that was because of our very special guest star, Brooke Shields. Um, it, it, you know, it's interesting, I think, to know at this particular point in her career, um, you know, and this is certainly arguable, um, that a lot of the notoriety that she had gained was in the past. You know, she had not done a whole lot um, in, in the recent times. I think... If I'm not mistaken, the Brenda Starr film adaptation um, was kind of the sort of a, almost a little bit of a death rattle for her career. People thought that that was going to be it for her um, because it, it bombed. And, and I know that there was kind of a lot put into it, uh, a lot of expectations put on it. Uh, of course, she started um, as a child. Um, she was 12 years old when she had a leading role in Louis Malle's film Pretty Baby, which we were discussing a little bit off mic, um, is, I think, an interesting moral quandary for modern viewers, hell, for even viewers in 1978, uh, because she does appear in the nude in, in, a, in a couple of scenes as a 12-year-old. And it's worth noting that this is not just a case of, like, she's getting out of the bathtub and mom hands her a robe. She's a child prostitute. So in addition to appearing nude, they, the scenes in which she does appear nude, while not directly or overtly, are certainly of a sexual nature. And her character is certainly overtly and directly sexualized. Um, you know, a couple of years after that, she would appear in the famous Calvin Klein jeans ads, What Comes Between Me and My Calvin's Nothing. Um, you know, she was 14 uh, when she made those ads. She was 14 when she made Blue Lagoon, which she also appeared topless in. Um, there were a few scenes where I guess her hair was glued to her breasts uh, to keep them from being seen. And there are some scenes where they just say, nah, screw it, we'll show her topless. Um, and then there are some, I mean, for that particular film and a film of its nature, I'd say some fairly graphic sex scenes, which she does not allegedly, according to the producers and Brooke Shields herself does not take part in. That was actually her stunt double, um, who was 32. <laughs> so actually 18 years older than Brooke Shields was at the time they were making the film. Um, but that said, I, I, I just want to interrupt here. I, I, I want to point it just, just to highlight this. We're, I, we're going off topic, but 
Hey, <laughs> that's our podcast. Uh, I pulled up yeah. Roger Ebert's review of The Blue Lagoon, and at one point, uh, The Blue Lagoon is the dumbest movie of the year. <laughs> but then they jumped down to touch on what you said. Uh, this movie could have been made as a softcore sex film, but it's too restrained. There are so many palms carefully arranged in front of genital areas, and Brooke Shields' long hair is so carefully draped to conceal her breast that there must have been a whole squad of costumers and set decorators on permanent erogenous zone alert. That sounds about right. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. You know, it, and I think it is it is, it is is worth just noting, we don't want to get into it because that's not what this podcast is about, obviously, and this episode is about, but she was in a string of films between Pretty Baby, The Blue Lagoon, and Endless Love at a young age, 12, 14, 15, 16 years old, where all three of those films, she was overtly and overly sexualized. Um, she it was involved in... Uh, nude scenes, sex scenes, um, and she was a minor. Um, certainly there's arguments to be made for parental responsibility, uh, the media's responsibility and culpability, the audience's responsibility and culpability, etc. The reason why I bring this up is, oh, oh and it's worth noting also that uh, two out of those three films were also given X ratings, um, in, in depending on where you you know you were viewing them. Um, the, um, but I bring all this up to say that she had garnered quite a bit of notoriety early on in her career. Oddly enough, her television career, which this directly ties into, of course, Quantum Leap, at that time had been very, um, innocent, if you will. I mean, we're talking about The Muppet Show, um, you know, things of that nature. So she was doing things that you would kind of almost expect a kid to do on TV, um, and then kind of disappeared for a few years. Now, it is worth noting she did go to school. She went to Princeton. Sure. Um, so that certainly could have played a part in it, uh, but had not been working much, uh, if at all, in the lead-up to the guest appearance on Quantum Leap. And so this is what I, what I found interesting about this, like reading it in uh, Matt's book, Beyond the Mirror Image. I thought, I've always thought that... This was a gimmick episode written around getting Brooke Shields to guest star because while it does not have the same plot of the Blue Lagoon in a lot of ways, it is very similar in that two people stranded on a desert island. Right. So I always thought, oh, gimmick, Brooke Shields, desert island, blah, blah, blah. But according to Matt's book, Deborah Pratt said like she had to push, she had to pitch the network to take Brooke Shields in this role because, touching on everything you just said, they thought that she was done. Right. And that she wasn't a viable guest star anymore. And uh, But Pratt argued for her, saying that she deserved to have a comeback role. Whether or not this episode yeah. qualifies as a comeback role, but... <laughs> um, well, right. But it is, I think it is worth noting that after this, she did start working regularly again in film and television, you know, leading up to notable guest appearances on Friends, um, uh, her own TV show, Suddenly Susan. Oh, that's, um, I forgot all about Suddenly Susan. Yeah. How long did she had um, a, uh, um, what was I going to say? 
oh, oh, uh, Law and Order Special Victims Unit. She had um, a, a major recurring role on uh, Jane the Virgin, also most recently. So, you know, it has worked up until this day. I, I think is one of those celebrities that has garnered notoriety not only for her work, but also for things outside of her work, her relationship with Andre Agassi, her, you know, very frank discussion of postpartum depression, uh, the blowback that Tom Cruise's derogatory comments about her use of um, antidepressants to help deal with postpartum depression caused, like uh, her relationship with Michael Jackson. So there's all sorts of stuff kind of outside of her... uh, her work that has added to her celebrity, um, and 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 I think that even to this day, it's her name um, is 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 you know it's recognizable, it's notable. Yeah. she's she's a known quantity. She's not somebody that you just are like who. Yeah, I got you. And, and here's another tangent off of a tangent, but I, I just want to say this: in a world where we are canceling celebrities left and right for harmful behavior. What? Why is Tom Cruise still allowed to work? Because enough Scientologists own enough studios to own enough stuff to produce enough movies. To sure. Do the thing. Uh, yeah. A few months ago, me and a and a and a work client, we were, we were talking about Tom Cruise movies, and it's like I realize I like every Tom Cruise movie that I like, in spite of Tom Cruise. You put anybody else in the role. I would enjoy the movie. I I enjoy I, would, I enjoy the subject matter. I enjoy the plot of the movie. I don't enjoy Tom Cruise himself. He's cardboard. Sure, he'll he'll do. He's fine. He's he's inoffensive as an actor. But you put anybody else in the role, and I'd still like that movie. I would pretty much agree for the past twenty years. Yeah, I would say prior to like the year two thousand, I, I I liked him. I did actually like him. You know, Rain Man, Born on the Fourth of July. Uh, Jerry Maguire, and, and I agree with your Put argument. Put Scott Bakula in any of those roles and tell me that Scott Bakula couldn't have pulled those roles off. <laughs> sure. I mean, I will say I will say that when it comes to Born on the Fourth of July in particular, I do think that, that, that... I'm not saying there are other actors that would not be able to do that role justice, and that, that certainly even today, looking at... Like, if you put somebody like Joaquin Phoenix in that role, it would have been fucking you know, meteorically better than, than, than Tom Cruise. But in that day and age, at that specific period in time, I think he was the right choice. And so I, I, I would say for me, he is part of the, the draw, I guess. I don't know. Sure. When I was a kid, I liked him, man. No, 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 think I get it. Top Gun, Days of Thunder, you know, blittity blottity, whatever. I uh, but I agree it. with you. I do agree with you. Thinking about a movie like Vanilla Sky, which I think is criminally underrated, I think if you put somebody else besides Tom Cruise in the lead in that, the movie probably would have been better. I love Vanilla Sky. I love uh, Edge of Tomorrow. That's probably the last Tom Cruise movie that, that I saw. Yeah. But seriously, put anybody else in that role, I would have enjoyed that movie. I do think he's uniquely perfect in Magnolia. I don't think you could have cast anybody else in that role and, and gotten kind of the same That's fair. mileage out of it. But he's also, That's fair. but he's also, you know, he's, 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 he's a side character, really. He's a supporting character. He's not, you know. Yeah. Everybody's a side character in that movie. Anyway. That's true. But you know what? You know what doesn't have side characters? This episode. <laughs> this episode has the smallest cast for the entirety, for the entire series. We have Brooke Shields, Sam, 
Al, of course, and we have Socrates as the mirror image. The actor was literally going by Socrates yep. uh, at the time, which uh, John Temple, he, he wrote in our group today, he, he, uh, he commented that. He now goes by, let me pull up here, he's still pretty active. It seems like he's uh, not active in the U.S., but he is still, uh, the mirror image actor is a very active actor. Sorry, Jessica Jones is going nuts in the background here. Uh, oh, oh, come on, IMDb, give me the full cast list. There's not very many of them. What's his name? <laughs> uh, no, uh, but you're right. A, a lot of a lot of it looks like Greek television, um, and uh, you know, even some um, you know U.S. or potentially British um, television programs as well. Criminal Minds Beyond Borders. Oh. Um, yeah, well, hey, we have a, 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 I think it's, it's interesting enough to bring it back to what you were saying earlier about budget and, and yeah. know that they were certainly looking for ways to, um, you know, cut corners and, and save a little money while also delivering something different and something big. Mm-hmm. And I think that this episode uh, achieves all of that. Now, whether or not it achieves it all well is, is is up for debate, but I think that it fits the bill as far as checking those boxes. I think this is a perfectly fine episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not reinventing the wheel. I certainly wouldn't be pre- presenting this up in a top ten or like, hey, get to know Quantum Leap. Here's an episode. Uh, but I think especially after the the ambitious Lee Harvey Oswald. I, I, I enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed revisiting it. I enjoyed it more than what I remembered. I would completely agree. And one of the things that I remarked too, to just take it back to Brooke Shields for a moment, for whatever reason, my memory had not been kind to Brooke Shields. I, in my memory had kind of created this sort of like, nah, she was not that great in the episode. But upon rewatching the episode, I was like, well, she's really good. Like she's yeah. really, really good, and and I think has some wonderful chemistry with Sam. In fact, she even is. Um, I had been on the record at one point in time uh, as saying that uh, Scott Bakula was her best on screen, best on screen kiss. kiss. Um, to which he very politely uh, said, "I've had a lot of good on screen kisses." He was very, he was very right. polite, very diplomatic. Exactly. He, you know, uh, well, Scott Bakula, Scott Bakula, very, very tight lipped. Yes, yeah. Um, another thing that I, that struck me right away as we come back from the opening credits, uh, is that the music, um, while they're kind of struggling in the water and he's rescuing her and they're getting on the life raft at first, uh, the music's quite beautiful, actually. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really wonderful score. Um, shortly after we're introduced, you know, a little bit more firmly to the characters, uh, Brooke Shields is playing Vanessa Foster, uh, spoiled. Of the Philadelphia Fosters, yes. Of the, yes, of the Philadelphia Fosters. Um, and she had to been on a wedding cruise, um, literally like not a honeymoon cruise, but a wedding cruise was going to get married, um, on the cruise, um, to her fiance, David, um, who we do hear a bit about David and daddy, uh, play, play Mm. big, big roles in this David and daddy. Yes, they, yes, they do. Unseen, um, but felt. <laughs> yes. Uh, and also we get a pretty early uh, appearance of Al in this episode. And here's something I really enjoy about this episode. I don't... 
on one hand, I don't know if it works anymore since now we've been to the project two episodes in a row. Mm-hmm. I love hearing about the shenanigans going on back at Project Quantum Leap. And it's been a while since we've just had some good Tina and Project yes. shenanigans. So I just love hearing the story about they're all planning the uh, the birthday and Tina wants him to jump out of the cake. You'll never guess what she wants me to not wear. We have peak Al in this episode. We do, but you know what? It's so funny that you bring that up because the, my thought was is even though we have peak Al – we have a a very a less a less lascivious Al. Yes, like he is still he is still on the prowl, but he's yes. committed. He's he's having fun. He you know when he talks, it's interesting because when he talks about Vanessa, he doesn't really sexualize her. He talks about her being beautiful. He like he makes kind of jokes about Sam kissing her, but it's not. It's it's interesting because it's not kind of this the the sort of like. They could have gone Dirty the other Al. way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They could yeah. have gone a whole other way. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, you know, when he talks about jumping out of the cake and, you know, and giving Tina her big birthday present, all sort of stuff. It's just, <laughs> I don't know. It, it hit me in a very different way than some of the other stuff we've heard from Al in recent memory. It's so, I mean, oh, God, I'd forgotten the whole, like, yeah, I got to go give t- Tina her present. It's a big one. Yeah. That, that seems, that seems <laughs> just like. That seems like very peak early 90s sex humor. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so... Uh, and Al and, enters in the water, which is cool. He does, and he has to yeah, come up, yeah, the special effects, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah. uh, but what I love about the setup of this episode is that in the original history, Nick and Vanessa were rescued pretty quickly, but just by the nature of leaping in, Sam has changed history and put them on a different track by doing nothing else other than simply being himself. Yeah. And not the experienced sailor that Nick is. Nico. Nico is. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I like that aspect too. It, it plays well into a couple of things that, you know, we've, we have seen kind of recently where sometimes by doing nothing or by, by saying something, by behaving as Sam would behave, he is creating, you know, kind of like a little butterfly effect. And, sure. and it's not something that the early episodes really dealt with very much. Like Sam could leap in, do crazy stuff, you know, cause all sorts of mayhem early in an episode, and it really didn't have an, a long-term effect. Whereas now we've gotten a couple of episodes in a row here, like Leap for Lisa, Lee Harvey Oswald, and this one, where little things that he says or does have huge impact on what happens to these people's lives. I mean, it would be enough to give Sam a complex. He's going to get to a point where he <laughs> leaps in and he just, <laughs> and he just locks himself down until Al shows up. <laughs> right. Right. Well, uh, uh, man, it's funny you say that. Cause I, I, I as I've told, well, I've told you since we recorded Lee Harvey Oswald, I started reading 11, 22, 63 by Steve. Oh, that's King. right. Yeah. 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 And it made me, it just, you saying that made me think of kind of like, you know, some of the stuff that, that Jake, you know, just thinks about early on when he's first kind of figuring everything out about what he can do, what he can't do, what he, you know, what he should do, what he shouldn't do. Anyway, um, yeah. uh, there's an interesting uh, uh, line that Sam has too early on where he says leaping through time for a living in mm-hmm. the voiceover. And I just I don't know. That's just fascinating to me that he looks at it as something that it's he, it's his job now. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I, I don't know. There's something about that the, the, that just kind of... Yeah, that that line did jump out to me as well. Just yeah, it, it's kind of like this is this this is what I do now. The pay is horrible, yeah. but hey. <laughs> uh, um, and Al gives us some good information uh, early on about Vanessa, of course. Which part of me wonders, like, do we really even need it? Um, more dough than a Pillsbury is one line that that stuck out some, to yes, me. Yes, yeah. Um. He calls her a shrew, so mm-hmm. now we've got part of the and title in the episode. We do, and that was like that was obviously an overdub line. It is worth noting. Uh, it is worth noting. You know, I'm going to jump back and say we got so excited jumping into this episode, we skipped over all of our normal intro stuff. We didn't do the TV guide description. We didn't <gasps> do anything. Oh my goodness! We got so excited. That's we my got, fault. We got so into this. No, 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 no. Uh, you just wanted to play the season five theme music. I got, what it was. I got so I got so wrapped <laughs> up in that. Yeah, I forgot the other stuff. But it is worth noting uh, this episode did receive the Motion Picture Sound Editors Award for ADR editing. Um, and ADR editing is, of course, like when they have to go back and re-record audio over the originally recorded dialogue. And I feel like almost the entirety of this episode they had to re-record the dialogue over. And I bring that up now because you don't see Al say what a shrew. That's an extra line added later. And that almost made me kind of groan. I was like, ah, uh, did you did you have to? Did you have to right. take one drink? We got part of the episode title in the episode. A little, little on the nose. A little yeah. on the nose. That was a little uh, bit. Yeah. You know, worth, worth noting, if you want to pull out Webster's Dictionary real quick, uh, that a, a shrew, in, in addition to being a small, insectivorous mammal resembling a mouse with a long, pointed snout and tiny eyes, is also, of course, in this context, meant to have its second definition, which is a bad-tempered or aggressively assertive woman. Mm. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> I can understand having a term like shrew... Uh, for a bad-tempered woman. Like, we've got, you know, fine, whatever. But aggressively assertive. Like, equating that with bad temperament. Like, say that it is bad for a woman to be aggressively assertive. It's like, well, how about that? How about Um, that, yeah. And Of course, we also have the famous William Shakespeare play. Uh, Yeah, uh, yeah, the the episode title is is a play on... Taming of the Shrew. It is interesting to note, this had some alternate American titles, I think, before in the process of getting written. It was also called Washed Away, or When Venus Smiles. Either one of those would have been perfectly acceptable. Uh, In Germany, it was known as The Shrew. In France, it was known as The Sailor and the Shrew. Uh, And in Italy, it was known as Love on the High Seas. Oh. Well. But, uh, so yeah, so we, uh, we get this first scene, they're in the water, they're on the raft, they, they get the trunk, Sam wants to get a hold of the trunk. Well, initially he, he's resistant because Vanessa wants it so badly, but then we realizes there's stuff in there they could use. Then all of a sudden he wants it so badly. Uh, we get a Sam we haven't seen in a while in that, uh, uh, the, the version of Sam who is automatically with odds with the woman of the episode, mm-hmm. which, which of course means he likes her. Yes. Yes. Or um, at the very least, he's going to grow to like her. He is going to, <laughs> he's going to grow to like her before. Yes. Uh, so they get the trunk. They have some, they have some gum. They have, they have the wedding dress, which they eventually use for the sale. 
uh, cigarettes. The gun, yeah, the cig- Oh, yeah, the cigarettes, which turns out to play into the plot of the episode. Uh, they have the the silverware, which he throws down to the bottom of the ocean, and and the sunken treasure. Sunken treasure, and I do love the gag of the grandmama. Oh yeah, <laughs> grandmama's silver. What is this grandmama's face? Oh, it's grandmama. Uh, yes, her ashes I did, and I did appreciate. I did appreciate that. Um, of course, in this early fight, uh, Vanessa accidentally stabs the raft, causing them to lose some air, so they have to use some gum to chew up the to, to fill up the hole. And then Sam says that they have to lose some weight off of the trunk or else they're going to go down. Matt points out in his book, they don't need to do that because the trunk has been floating on its own. Right. All this time. Uh, yep. But now the now the now I will say this. If we're going to try to suspend some disbelief and give the benefit of the doubt, perhaps Sam doesn't know one, that, could, yeah. one could look at this and say it is tied so closely and tightly to the raft that the raft is lending buoyancy to the trunk, that the trunk itself would actually sink. Of course, we've already seen it floating away from the raft, but hey, I'm just trying to suspend a little disbelief, have a little fun. Yeah. I mean, I mean, also, of course, at the same time, like in the moment, Sam could be freaking out. Right. And it's not in any real danger of sinking the raft, but yeah, Sam is yeah. freaking out. And, we, and we've already, and something that gets reestablished several times throughout the episode, Sam is not very good at this being a, a, a sailor stranding on a desert island thing. So, <laughs> you know, so yeah. Yeah. Um, but we do get, uh, we get to nighttime, we get the, the wedding dress up as a sailboat, and we do get a, uh, this episode is great because it has some good one-on-one scenes. Because what else can you have? <laughs> right. Uh, another thing that the episode does that I found really fascinating is Sam makes no bones whatsoever about talking to Al. No. Like, right in front of Vanessa. Um, to the point where she has this lovely line where she says, uh, only desperately lonely people talk to themselves. Um, and it just it hit me in a, in a special way about Sam and, and about, we've talked about this before and clearly it's meant here for comedic effect, but there has got to be this inherent loneliness to what Sam has been going through for these past five years. Mm-hmm. Um, so to have it even touched on in any way, it, it kind of, it, it pulled my heartstrings a little and, and, and made me feel, uh, feel for Sam. Um, yeah. And I think also helped to uh, invest me a little bit more into the developing relationship later on between Sam and Vanessa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also one of those things that kind of makes you, it's a little bittersweet, it makes you a little sad where you kind of think to yourself, well, would it have really been too bad if Sam had been stranded on this island with Vanessa? Like, if, if he had been there instead of Nikos, like if Nikos had never let back it, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, if this is, if this is how you retire quantum leaping. Right. What a yeah! What a way to go. There are worse ways to go. <laughs> there, yes, uh, yeah. So they have the the nice scene on the raft. They fall asleep together. Uh, one thing that we that we skipped over. It, it's a very it's a very good comedic moment. That's that it's built into the premise of the show. Is that when she first starts coming to in the raft, she's like, "Oh, David! Oh, David! Thank God! Thank God!" And and Sam's like, "Oh, I'm David! I'm David!" And then yeah. she opens her eyes. You're not David. Yeah, I'm not. Um, I don't think we've quite had that 
that that setup played with before on the show? Of, the, yeah, the mistaken identity in such a way. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't. They don't think so, and it is very interesting because it plays on a lot of different levels. Obviously, yeah. Where Sam automatically now thinks that he's leapt into David. Now maybe he's thinking that Vanessa actually sees Sam for who he is, as mm, opposed I to seeing about that. Yeah. He's supposed to be, you know, all those sorts of facets. So it, it, you're right; it is interesting, and we get a nice callback to it because um, after dinner, which there's another funny bit where Vanessa says she has to change for dinner. Yes, like, yeah. Fosters always change for before di- dinner. Yeah. <laughs> And she changes into like this weird sailor bikini kind of thing. Almost. It's a we. It, it's it, it, it's it's a rich person's idea of what a sailor dress is like. Right, right. And she does. She clearly does her makeup and her hair as well. Yeah. Uh, and then they yeah. Then they have dinner, which is uh, just seaweed. Yeah. Uh, and then they fall asleep, like you were saying. And 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 when she wakes up, she thinks this is all but a dream. She thinks it is David again, and you know, it's a nice little call back to that mistaken idea. Yeah. At the beginning. And I love how how dare you use your shoulder as my pillow. Oh, Vanessa, she's yes. a special one. Uh, it was at the point <laughs> when she switched into her dinner outfit and had her hair and makeup done that I decided that this is the Gilligan's Island episode of Quantum Leap, <laughs> which is not the worst thing. No. Uh, and you know, also worth noting that before they before they fall asleep, we do get another really nice moment uh, for Sam, mm-hmm. where he talks about um, his dad teaching him the name of the constellations, sure, so that he'd never be alone, mm-hmm. because all he'd have to do is look up and see the constellations and realize, you know, where he you know where he was and where his home was, yeah, based off of that. Um, which, man, like. I'm glad we're getting this, but it's one of those things that you just kind of feel like if Quantum Leap were made today, we would have gotten information like that in the first five or six episodes and then gotten little callbacks to it throughout the series. Oh, sure. Whereas now we're getting it here, you know, really on the tail end of the series. And it's just like, it's a beautiful moment. It's lovely. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think just kind of again, contextualizing it for today and the way that entertainment for television is produced today, I think is one of those things that would have been woven into the narrative structure of the show far earlier than it is in something like Quantum Leap, which is, you know, episodic, even though there is an underlying sort of, you know, myth or lore to the, to the series and to these characters. Yeah. What I do, what I do appreciate about it, it's like we, 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 we touch on a little bit, like, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald, we, we, we tore down the episode so much last week like we didn't touch on it's, it's a nice moment of like learning like what Sam and his dad were doing on November 22nd 1963 and how and how nicely yeah. and how nicely that's called back we do get those little moments throughout um, I, I do appreciate the moments where they where we kind of touch on like oh like what is what is Sam doing with his dad what is Sam doing with his family like mm-hmm. right now at this moment of time 1956 he's only three years old um but yeah, it's a, it's it's a nice it's a nice little touch, uh, and I also I also appreciate and I, I hope I explain this well is that Sam's family is full of tragedy, at least in the original history. Tom dies in Vietnam, little sister elopes, dad dies of a heart attack, and yet elopes into an abusive relationship. Uh, yeah, 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 elopes into an, an abusive relationship. And but a lot of times Sam talks about his family very romantically, and he remembers the good times. And that jumped out at me in this episode. Yeah. I, I appreciated that. 
I think, you know, and I remember getting fairly emotional when we talked about Elite Poem Part 1. I think that's one of the reasons why I get so emotional about it is because there's this connective tissue um, just as a human being that I think we can relate to the moments when things change, not for the better, and that, that, that becomes kind of this, this marker um, in the sand saying that before this and after this. So in, the, in terms of Quantum Leap, it's like before Tom's death and after Tom's death. Mm-hmm. And before Tom's death, you do get the sense that Sam's life was really fairly idyllic. And you know, growing up on the farm, having a pretty close relationship with his brother, uh, his sister, his father's mother, like just it, it seems like a very nice family in a nice town in a nice you know in this in the, in, and clearly he's advanced from a young age. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you one hundred percent. And 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 with Lee Harvey Oswald, just the image that's created when he describes how he heard about it yeah. is so vivid in my head. Like mm-hmm. I can see the farm. I can mm-hmm. see his mother running out the door. I can see Scott Bakula playing his dad. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But no, I seriously, you're 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 absolutely right. That's a really great observation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, next morning they wake up, another awkward exchange that we just noted, and then they, they find land. Land. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, a rocky beach on the California coast. I, I mean, somewhere in the middle of the Aegean Sea. Somewhere, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but they they very quickly they get their their tent, their accommodations set up, and uh, I do go love. Ahead. It's funny because we it feels like we've almost seen a little bit of growth already from Vanessa. Oh sure, because she's gone from being like you will not use you know my veil to do this, you will not use my dress to do this, to appreciating mm-hmm. like the wedding dress being used as the tent and like kind of talking about like from 37 silkworms and 42 oysters and you know all this like she's going into all the the pearls and the silk and the the dressmakers and Chanel and all this sort of stuff and now it's a tent and and the the way that she's talking about it it's like she doesn't even seem mad or disappointed there's almost like an appreciation of the fact that like her dress will provide them shelter (laughs) You, you, me, you, yeah, me, you. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, uh, about, yeah. Yeah. You'll need to. Yeah. Go back and edit. Yeah. You just locked up, but yeah. Um, but I think that ties into well, what we're going to find out, like where this episode is going and, and, and how it ends up ending up. Uh, we come to find out that that Nico and Vanessa they they kind of had a mutual attraction for each other. So this is probably. Not the worst thing in the world for Vanessa. And, and after getting around the initial shock of, of you know, the boat blowing up and sinking, um, yeah, she's she's getting into this thing. Yeah, well, she, you know, we see. I'm going to kind of fly through some things, so feel free to go to go back to. Speak okay. about I mean, I mean, at this point, we could jump around. I mean, the the, the plot is very thin in this right? episode, so yeah. But one of the things that I love about her and seeing her in action on the island is that she's not, like, she doesn't just sit back and lounge under the tent and expect Nikos to take care of everything. You know, she 
goes out and and collects food. Um, you know, she she finds water. She you know she does all of these things, and she's engaging with Nikos. And, and yes, there's definitely some friction in the relationship, but uh, I, I think that there is a an appreciation for the situation that she has, um, and in spite of clearly having the spoiled background and being fairly entitled um, she's also very accepting of the situation in which she finds herself and and, and makes do in, in a really wonderful mm-hmm. way she even eventually offers to take like the first watch the first night on the island um, and uh, they, they, they there's some really lovely scenes together and I think that Sam in a way um, he helps her to make some of these discoveries about herself because they have this lovely scene where Sam is asking her, like, you know, what about you? Like, you're always talking about what your dad wanted or what David wanted or what they were going to get or what, you know, it's like, what about what do you want? Um, yeah. And, and, and yes, it's a little cliched and Sam clearly, like, you know, reads her and, and, and it is like, oh, you know, daddy never loved you as he should have. You know, there's all that sort of crap or whatever. But the thing is, is that I think if you can take these cliches and you can take stereotypes, etc., and you can do something tell a good story with them sure um, and have these nice well-developed well-realized moments then you know fine I'll use your cliche it's okay you know I've heard I've heard it said before and cliches are cliches or whatever but uh, when you hear a cliche listen because even though it's a cliche there is some important truth in it so you know sometimes that's all you need but here's the thing this is something I never really thought about until just now I think Sam could have just kept his mouth shut because I think at this point he is there because if Nico was there, he would get them rescued. Right. Because we still have two ships coming close enough to the island because it occurred to me like, well, they, they got to the island. Why didn't Sam just leap out at that point? Because Nico would have gotten them rescued. Right. Sam, right. Sam could have totally shit the bed and done everything wrong with Vanessa after they got there. And all he needs to do is just not get them rescued. Yes. Because, because, because as he, we know, yeah. Sam can't find any, any food to save his life. He's going to subsist on grapes and toothpaste. Yes. So I, Meanwhile, Vanessa's yes. got this spread of like fruit and vegetables and you know, all these berries and clams. I mean, it's, yeah, it's quite incredible. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. But we, you know, but the, yeah. We get some fun moments. We get the mud wrestling scene in the yep. and the and, and the little pond, which I remember when I was a kid. They uh, in the in the commercials for this, they played that a lot in the commercials. Like sure. that was like yeah, that was the scene they were trying to draw everybody in to watch this episode. Al does, Al does have a wonderful line, and the thing about it that takes it away from some of his more you know to return to my word lascivious uh, uh, statements in the past is that when he mentions the bikinis and mud wrestling thing the fact that he says you both should be wearing bikinis and mud wrestling and you could charge like that's the that's the difference yes if he had just been like you know put her in a bikini and charge admittance that would have been dirty old man Al but by saying if you were both wearing bikinis you could make a lot of money by charging admittance to this like he's a a little bit more woke dirty old man Al Uh, and of course, the the, the mud wrestling fight, it, you know, ends up leading to that that moment where I said, you know, Sam kind of turns the focus on her for a bit, and she kisses him, which gives us another similar moment to the, you know, how dare you use your shoulder for my pillow? Yeah. 
line where she says, how dare you kiss me, when clearly she was the one that initiated the kiss. Yeah. Um, but we do learn some stuff via Al that Nikos, like, helped carry her bags, oh, put yeah. mints on her pillow every night. Like, clearly this guy was very devoted to her. Yeah. Um, and, and she was interested enough in him to follow him down uh, to the underbelly of the ship while she was smoking a cigarette. She's the one that actually caused the, the explosion. Yeah. Caused them to be shipwrecked. She is the, um, yeah. So, so it's clear that there was an interest, if not out, out a, attraction between these two people before Sam ever got there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, she sank the ship. She, she's the one who blew it up. She is, she is the Gilligan of the ship. Did you, <laughs> you, did you watch Gilligan's Island enough to know how, how the ship ended up sinking? A little bit. No, I, I don't think, no. There was, there was an entire episode. I say an entire episode. It was a half-hour show, 22 minutes right. with commercials. There was an entire episode of Gilligan's Island where they decide to recreate the shipwreck, to recreate the, the, the storm. And, the, you know, of course, like, they, they get supplies and they actually, like, build, you know, the, the, the SS Minnow complete with, like, rocking and hydraulics in some weird way how they do it. And they realize that the ship sank because Gilligan threw the anchor overboard without attaching the rope. Wow. And so the rest of the episode becomes like he, he decides to exile himself because he, he doesn't feel like he can be around them anymore because he's the one who got them in the situation. And, of course, they love him and they bring him back and blah, 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 blah. Anyway. Of course. A little buddy. Of course. But now I'm going to totally shift gears here. Early in this episode, she keeps calling him a greasy sailor. Right. And, yeah, I mean, he worked in the engine room. He was obviously greasy. But I always took it to be also because of the fact that he's Greek. And so I was, like, trying to, like, is that, like, a racist thing? And I looked it up online, and I couldn't find anything. But if it's not racist, if it's not racist, <laughs> I'm going to use a term that I think Larry Wilmore coined, uh, it's racist adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. I mean, I've never, I, 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 I've never heard it. You know, I, I think that yes, you could certainly make that argument because of his nationality. Yeah. However, I think divorced from his nationality, you could still call someone a greasy sailor. You know what I mean? Like, okay. Yeah. Like you or I could be greasy sailors as sure. well. Yeah. Um, but I think that in this instance, probably because of his nationality, one could maybe make the leap yes. to put this racist adjacent, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. That's I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but for, yeah, from there, um, so yeah, we have the we have the mud wrestling scene, and then they get back, and you know she has her finds, and he has his little piddly whatever. And Sam has a way; he's going to get them rescued with the hairspray and the fire. Yes. Yeah. MacGyver. Oh yeah. Um, Which is funny because everywhere I went, like whether it was Al's place, um, obviously the MacGyver project, um, uh, a couple of other uh, uh, you know websites that that detailed uh, this particular episode of Quantum Leap. Everywhere I went, IMDB, I think you listed this, called it a MacGyverism, and I just, I just thought that that was, that was great. That, 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 you know, that was enough in our lexicon that Sam devising this hairspray rocket flare is immediately a parallel to 
to Mag- Angus MacGyver. Oh yeah. Would, I, I, I don't I don't know if it worked. That stick would have to be very smooth. Like that's assuming that 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 the the thing just just shoots straight up the stick very smoothly and it doesn't get caught on anything. Yeah, I don't know. It's not quite like a bottle rocket. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, we we never get to find out because Vanessa empties out the hairspray. Because it was she does. because it was very so by windy. this po- by this point by this point uh, you know she she stabs a hole in right. the raft. Yeah. Well, actually, going back even before that, she Blows causes the, sh- the ship explosion with her cigarette. Yeah. She stabs the raft. Um, she pees. She pees in the watering hole, which we didn't mention earlier. Which yeah. That was one moment where I was like, "Wait, what? Like, why? Yeah. That. Why would she? Why pee would in the, I? I don't know. She uses the thing about the poison ivy in the bushes, but even yeah. then, it's like there are plenty of places to go. Yeah, I didn't get that yet. And then, of course, they end up diving into said pool they and end up just jumping you know, right in. Anyway, yeah. so yeah. Um, and now, of course, she has emptied out the uh, hairspray. Yeah, which could have provided their rescue. Yeah, because you know it, it, we find this out because a ship does show up, and it's a very nice comedic moment of uh, of. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. There's a school of tuna over there. Yeah, it's just, yeah, just like the, the the ship, the ship. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I love how 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 on point Ziggy is in this episode, where he can he can detect a school of tuna out in the water. Yeah, school of tuna. It is, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Okay, it's tuna, yeah. yeah. Uh, you're right. It, it's one of those things where sometimes Ziggy is, is basically magic. And then other yes. times Ziggy has to find an out-of-print newspaper from 1947 that has two copies in existence and researchers are up all night trying to find it in order to feed it into Ziggy so that he can give you the correct information. Yeah. Well, now, speaking, we kind of touch on this. Uh, we talked about a couple episodes back about like if they ever did a reboot, like where they show like the team of people researching back at the project. And if you take Al for his word and that he's not BSing Sam, at one point in this episode, he mentions that he has his programmers and analysts all over the sleep trying to figure out how to get them out of the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Which also is some interesting insight, I think, into Al's position. Because clearly, with his military background and his background with NASA and all this sort of stuff, like he has... Uh, a, a great working knowledge of like chain of command, following orders, giving orders, etc. Uh, he's an admiral, um, but I think that there are times when I, if I think about Project Quantum Leap, I don't necessarily think of Al as being in a place of power. Not not because he shouldn't be, not because he hasn't been shown to be, but it's just not how I view him because he's the observer, he's Sam's friend, he's the one that's there helping him. Um, but this is a great sort of affirmation of the fact that no, Al's in charge. Like yeah, back at back at Stallion's Gate, like you know, Project Quantum Leap, like Al is the one giving the orders. Yeah, I've just always taken that for granted because that's how it is in the novels. So that brings us, I think. One of the one of the nicer Sam and Al scenes that we've had in a while uh, is when they go on the the walk out in the they go on the walk out on the trail after him and Vanessa have the huge fight over the hairspray. 
which yes, in and of itself, the wind was blowing, and she needed to yeah. keep her hair set. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I, I and to jump back to that, I love the look on Al's face throughout that entire scene after Sam goes off. <laughs> like he's just there with the with the with the oh, oh God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Look, it's a yeah. it's a very sweet. It's a very uh, sweet kind of owl. Like, why, why, why are you screwing this up? Why are you being so mean? I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and one other thing, too, is with Al's costume, I know it's not. I know it's supposed to be some sort of coat, but all I could think is Al is literally wearing his bathrobe, and underneath are the red pajamas that he's going to wear when he goes to give <laughs> Tina her big present. Like, that's all I could see, is that Al is wearing a bathrobe, and underneath Well, but, well by this robe, point... I, 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 I don't think he's given his present yet. See, I thought he has given the present, and, and now he is post-coitus. Either way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what's interesting about that is, like, during this nice long scene that, that him and Sam have, it's revealed that after he left to say that he was going to go give Tina said birthday present, he came back and he spied a little bit. Yeah. And he saw that kiss between Sam and Vanessa. Peeping out. And I think this is only the second time in the series where we've seen, where we, we, we hear or see Al spying on Sam unaware. Uh, And dreams was the other one. Yeah. Right. I mean, he can clearly go places that Sam is not mm-hmm. when he's in the imaging chamber. Um, he can clearly be present when Sam isn't necessarily always aware that he is present. Um when it's convenient, anyway, to the plot. Yeah. So again, it you know it treats the imaging chamber. Um, uh, it's, it's you know it's almost a kind of magic in the same way that Ziggy spotting the school of tuna is almost a kind of, of magic, um, which is interesting because when you go back to certain episodes like Pool Hall Blues for instance, where where Ziggy and the hand link get used in a very practical manner, uh, that feels plausible if you will. That yeah. then you know we also have and it's just the nature of the show. This is not a criticism. Oh, sure. This is just yeah, this is just a comment. But we also have episodes like this one where again. There's almost something supernatural about. Oh sure, I mean, I mean, here's the thing: How does Ziggy have all of this information on Nico's and Vanessa's relationship previously? When we have to assume that this would have come from recorded history, where where would this been recorded? Right, like in, in, in Vanessa's memoirs later in her life when she talks about. You know the the one that got away, perhaps, or or especially with what we've recently seen in in Leap for Lisa and Lee Harvey Oswald. What if this is information that Al is getting from Nikos? Mm, okay, fair. You know, yeah, yes, I know Vanessa. I carried her bags. I put mints on her pillow. You know, what, you know whatever. Yeah, um, but yes, but no, I, I I do agree that yes, there, there is that. Um, sometimes there's an element. Uh, uh, or, or there is a personal nature 
uh, to the information that, that Ziggy is, is handing off by way of Al to Sam that you do kind of wonder, like, how the hell does yeah. Ziggy know that? I mean, like, Al being able to get some of that information from Nico's in the waiting room makes sense, but some of that information would have to come from Vanessa. Like I said, right. maybe, like I said, later in her life, she wrote her memoirs, kind of a la Rose talking about Jack and Titanic. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe at some point on the ship, Nikos drew drew Vanessa like one of his French girls. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Uh, so uh, after this scene, um, you, you know, the, the they're kind of waiting around, hoping mm. for something to happen um and another ship is spotted Mm -hmm. and sam um immediately is like i'm gonna signal them and and she's like well you don't have the hairspray anymore he's like no but i have this bonfire i'm going to build and starts building a bonfire and asking for her help yeah before this we we, yeah we get the big scene where basically sam proposes (laughs) they have the big makeout scene before then um because they're they're sitting there and they're making out or they're having the talk where she she gets very emotional about she doesn't want to die before she has a chance to live. I think that's her line, and yes. and yes. she and and this is where basically Sam comes in and and says, you know, basically, you know, we should be together. They start kissing. She resists. I'm saving myself for my husband. This is the scene where she mixes up Daddy and David. Ooh. Yeah, that's he he. <laughs> uh, and we can get in the entire sexist nature of, of of women and daddy issues and blah 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 blah. Anyway, right. Um, well, it's yeah. It, it, it's it's at that point that, and, and again, I, I feel like because something good is done with it, it is it is a little bit more excusable. But uh, Vanessa, in the beginning of the episode, in her background, she is very much a stock character. Yeah. Which I think makes the, what happens to her over the course of the episode, while also not being devoid of cliche in and of itself, interesting enough for me to follow. Because it's like when you see these stock characters and you start to see a little bit more well-rounded, three-dimensional person, human being, and the changes that they go through, the experiences that impact and affect them and change the way that they act, that is always going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, Sam basically says, uh, they, they, they have the moment they're making out and she says, what about, uh, she says, what about David? And Sam says, what about me? I mean, what about Nikos? I think that's what he says. Yeah. Oh no. What about yeah. Nikos? What about me? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and which is hilarious to think of Nikos like talking about himself in the third person. Oh yeah. <laughs> Nikos says you must do yeah. me. Yes. <laughs> that that could have totally worked. That could have worked. But then yes, everything you said, yeah, there's another ship. Uh, he tries to build a bonfire, and this is when she reveals she doesn't want to be rescued. Yeah. Uh, and what then, an empowering kind of moment and, mm-hmm. and revelatory moment for that character. And 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 sure, you know, we can sit here and kind of roll our eyes at it or whatever if we want to, but we could also choose to look at it as just sort of like this this character who everything in her life has been plotted out for her by a man. Yeah. And now here this man is trying to rescue her. And yeah. instead she says, no, I'm exactly where I want to be. And this is exactly how I want to live my life. It's very and romantic. And then we get this, 
we get this other great moment of Sam like being like, Al, what does Ziggy say the odds are? And she's like, and she's like, what is this? He's like, it's a very old Greek custom. Greek custom, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we, we totally skipped over the whole scene about uh, Princess Pain and the Buffalo. Indi- Indian guides, Trojan oh, guides. The Indian guides thing, yeah. Yeah. I was trying to figure out how, if, etc. we wanted to bring that in. But Indian guides, is, you know, it was an actual thing. Uh, the YMCA, oh, sure, yeah. um, um, of course, they, uh, they changed the name. Um, oh yes, yes, do, yeah. Uh, I, I think it got changed. Here, here's the thing: it only got changed about four or five years ago. So that makes sense. So yeah. When we when we want to talk about you know as progressive as the society we live in is or whatever, there's there's a window in for you. But yes, of course, it was deemed as being fairly racist. Um, yeah. But yeah, she. I mean, a couple was, weeks ago, we just had the Super Bowl with the Washington Redskins. Yeah. <laughs> so. No, yes. Kansas City Chiefs. Um, that was it. That was it. I, yeah, that's how yeah. close I follow football. Sorry, the Kansas Sorry. City Chiefs. Uh, yeah. At least I know which Kansas City they're from. All right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so yeah, uh, she was Princess Pain in the Buffalo. Yeah. Which, yeah. Uh, and Sam improvises that uh, at Trojan Guides, he was Zeus. Yeah. Because at first yeah. he slips, of course, and is like, oh, I was an Indian guide too. Um, yeah. Which I, I question. I feel like if Sam was anything, he would have been a Boy Scout, not an Indian guy. Because, like, a YMCA. Oh, sure. mm-hmm. in, you know. Yeah, his, I never thought about that. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah. So, we jump back. So, yeah. So, right in front of Vanessa, Sam has Al run the odds of what if what if they're supposed to stay on the island together? And, of course, we get the Quantum Leap shorthand that we know and love. We know what a wonderful, happy relationship they had because of how many kids they had, which was six. Six. Six busy bunnies. Six kids by the time they're rescued in nine years. Man. Uh... I don't know. I mean, I know exactly. I mean, I know. <laughs> I know exactly what happened in those nine years. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they didn't stop. <laughs> and they did, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it would have been interesting if they did a really bad inside joke and during these last moments. Like, oh, yeah, Al, Al says, yeah, you're, you're not supposed to get rid You're, you're going to be here on the island for years. It's kind of like, like that movie, Blue Lagoon. No, no, they wouldn't have done that. They would have never done that. They might have done that. Fun fact about Blue Lagoon, actually, is that the characters, of course, as they blossom. Mature, bleh, yeah. And mature uh, through puberty and, and begin discovering their sexuality, which is kind of the whole point, in, in a way, if, if there is a point. Uh, they do end up having a child together. Um, and at one point, the child apparently picks some berries uh, that they think are poisonous. Um, they have a raft. They're on a raft. The kid throws an oar overboard. The, the the dad is trying to get to the raft, but is being chased by a shark. So she takes the other oar and beats the shark with it so that the dad can get into the raft. They're all three on the raft. As they're celebrating the fact that, they, that they've made it, that they're alive, they realize that their son has eaten some of the berries. So they decide the best thing to do is that they should eat the berries too, and they'll all die together on the raft. The raft ends up getting discovered shortly thereafter. 
they're about to be rescued. Somebody comes aboard, uh, or is taking them aboard rather, and is like, "Are they? Are they dead?" And the guy looks down at them and says, "No, they're just sleeping." And that's how the movie ends. I I read that <laughs> I read that in Ebert's review. Uh, but then, in Return to the Blue Lagoon, which is the sequel, it turns out, no, 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 no. The parents died, but the son lived. I've never even seen these movies, and I'm angry. Yeah, I know, right? Wow. But anyway, luckily in Quantum Leap, we know exactly what happens to these people. They get rescued in nine years and have six kids. Yeah. Happily ever after. We get a cute little moment, and again, it's it, there's just something about the way that it's played and the way that it's done that, that, that it doesn't feel dirty or weird or skeeve me out, where Sam is kissing her, and Al is like, sorry, Sam, it's time to go, you know, and, and then, of course, Sam leaps out. Yeah. Continuing the trend that I mentioned at the very beginning of this episode with excellent leap-ins, we get another fantastic leap-in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I love this leap in. Um, it, it's also so he's laying on a bed. Uh, seems to be in a hospital. Somebody runs up to him and starts talking about Charlie's coming. Charlie's going to come and cut their heads off. Uh, you see some orderlies come and start to drag this guy away rather forcibly. Sam is is immediately like, "Hey, that's you know, don't treat him that way. Don't do that." Uh, and then we get something that we've never gotten before. Al. In the leap in, saying, don't get up, Sam. Whatever you do, don't get up. Yeah. Points at a mirror uh, in the, the hallway that Sam is in. Sam looks up and realizes he has no legs. legs. Yeah. Um, so much wonderful storytelling in that little leap in, in my opinion. Little snippet, yeah. 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 We can unpack next week all the, the weirdness of... Uh, that oh, yeah. and and Al getting there so quickly and blah, yeah, yeah, lots to yeah. It's going to be funny because next week's episode there's a lot to talk about the episode itself specifically. There's also a lot to talk about the ramifications the episode itself has on like the lore and mythos and the extended universe, if you will, of Quantum Leap. Yes, uh, I remember Nowhere to Run being one of my favorite episodes of the season. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't watched. Uh, I feel like I've watched it a couple years in the last couple years. It's it's one I revisited, so I, I I think it's it's still gonna hold up. Yeah, I, I mean honestly, as I've said kind of repeatedly, I, I a lot of these episodes, a lot of Quantum Leap in general, I had not watched in probably a good like fifteen years mm-hmm. until we started doing our rewatch, um, and so this is certainly an episode where it's probably been about that long. Obviously, we'll have another big guest star to talk about. We have an early television appearance from Jennifer Aniston. Mm-hmm. Um, pre-nose job um and uh, maybe more importantly free pre-friends <laughs> pre-friends indeed which is not far off in the distance at this point just a couple of years down it, the road actually it's just the next season is that right it's the next season yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure yeah and i didn't I thought it was, for some reason i thought it was 94 so I don't, oh you know you maybe you're right i don't know i didn't i never yeah. knew i never knew that jennifer jennifer aniston got a nose job yeah. i i did not know that you, I think I, it, once you watch this episode, I have a feeling you'll be able to uh, to tell. Hmm. She's very. I mean, she's 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 never. It's not. It's not like one of those things where she's tried to hide it or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, oh sure. It's just like she. Yeah. Yeah. Fall of '94 was when Friends premiered, so we're uh, two years. Two, two years, two years after that. Days. Okay. Yeah. Got it. But, most most but recent anyway. Jennifer. An- yeah. Most recent Jennifer Aniston news I had is that she's no longer the spokesperson for Smart Water. 
Yeah. And uh, there was uh, backstage at the Golden Globes, apparently her and Brad Pitt had a moment. Um. Well, it, it, it was a moment in that a photographer caught the moment very well. And it's it's kind of painfully obvious that Brad Pitt is having in that moment was having some hard remorse. Ah, well, <laughs> man, I'll tell you what, if you want to find if you want to read a fucking interesting interview with a celebrity who is very much in the public eye and public consciousness, Rolling Stone did an interview with Brad Pitt about a year ago. Yeah. You know, kind of in the in as he was in the throes of his divorce from Angelina Jolie and 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 I have read few interviews where somebody just goes balls to the walls honest as he does. Like he gets pretty just deeply honest about the way that it is affecting him. Uh, I mean, talks about drinking, talks about his kids, talks about loneliness, talks about depression. And, and to me, it's just sort of like, it's a wonderful interview and, and, and it's a wonderful humanizing interview because I think someone like him, it would be very easy to never view or understand that he has these feelings and these thoughts and, 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 and for someone who is, you know, one of the beautiful people, if mm. you will, in so many ways, I think to understand that all of these things that affect all of us affect him too. It, it, to me, that's, that's the best kind of like celebrity interview in a way. And not yeah. in a weepy, why me, why me, my life sucks. Like he even talks about in the interview, for instance, they're talking about art that he has and some of the art that he has that's like worth hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. You know what I mean? So it's not like one of those things where he's just sort of like, my life sucks and everything's horrible. Like he's appreciating so much of what he has, but he's also contrasting it with like, you know, I don't get to see my kids as much as I used to. This is happening. You know, there have been some times when I feel like I'm drinking too much, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. It's a fascinating interview. It's really, really good. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, have you seen Ad Astra? Yet, I have not actually. You should no. check it out. Yeah, I I, I yeah. feel everything that you just said about like what he's going through right now. Like you could see some of that like seeping through, in in that yeah in that movie. Uh, but to he, bring it, but I, to bring, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say real quick. I, him winning the Academy Award, I feel like is, is is really wonderful in a lot of ways because he's one of those actors, and I feel like I've personally known actors that are like this, where you you see people who look a certain way and all you can think is they will be successful. The question ends up becoming, will they have a sustained amount of success and will they be an artist or will they just be a pretty face that gets forgotten about, you know, 15 minutes after their fame is up. And I think that Brad Pitt is easily one of those people that could have parlayed a career based off of the way that he looks and had, you know, a degree of success, but he chose instead to work hard and become not just become, I mean, he was, to, to be an artist, to be an actor, to be someone who turns in, you know, riveting, enjoyable performances in film after film after film after film, and does interesting things, and, and, I, and I think that, that yeah, I mean, I, 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 there are two people that I can think of right off the top of my head that I knew, and I can just remember thinking, like, one of these people is going to make it because they work hard, and the other person is going to try to skate by on their looks and not get very far, and that's exactly what happened. I got you. What was the name of the 2004, the, the, like the sandal, whatever? Troy. That was it. Troy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I read a thing recently where like for him, like Troy was the breaking point where like that was not a good movie. He was like, as he put it, like he was always center of frame in every shot that he was in because he was Brad fucking Pitt. And yeah. when that movie turned out the way it did, like that was like that was the point where he was like, 
like, no, 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 I'm going to start go making these kind of movies and be more invested and not these other kinds of movies. One of those movies, by the way, was Mr. and Mrs. Smith, <laughs> where where he met Angel, where 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 him and Angelina right. Jolie got together, and I don't know how much how that show was related to the short-lived Scott Bakula follow-up. I don't, I, you know, I don't think it was related at all. But I, but 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 it is interesting to note that they are they have a lot of similarities. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I didn't know if like anyway. We'll we'll dig into that later on. Maybe who knows? But for now, we're wrapping up. This episode. Leaping to the Shrew. Dennis, final thoughts? Um, It's a perfectly enjoyable episode. Uh, Like I said, there's a big question to be had of, like, is it better to, like, you know, go balls to the wall and go for it with Lee Harvey Oswald and and fall on your face? Or to have a perfectly acceptable fluff hour of television like Leaping to the Shrew, which is better? I don't know. Uh, I would more likely reboot up Leaping of the Shrew than I would Lee Harvey Oswald. How about that? Yeah, yeah, probably. It's it, you know, it's interesting because I will say that one of the things um, for me in, in in making that comparison, which is is apt, that this episode feels a lot like a palate cleanser. Mm-hmm. However, Lee Harvey Oswald, for all of its flaws, generated an incredible amount of energetic thinking for me, and uh, and, sure. and and and. and, and a lot of uh, it really got my mind working in in, in, in in a way and I think that sometimes that's all that we can ask of of art even if when you're experiencing said piece of art you're finding what's wrong with it more often than you are being entertained by it so I think what I would say in alignment with what you're saying is I feel certainly found Leaping to the Shrew more enjoyable but I think ultimately for all of its flaws Lee Harvey Oswald was more engaging I can see that yeah yeah. Uh, but no I agree that yeah this is, this, is, this is a perfectly fine hour of Quantum Leap it, 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 there are some elements of it that harken back to for what I hold to be the best of Quantum Leap that, that it has a couple of those elements not enough to like hold it up against like, you know, stand up more recently that we yeah. talked about, or of course, you know, for me, one of the gold standards being like, good night, dear heart, or, um, thou shalt not like, I, it doesn't have that quality. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but it certainly has some really, really nice moments and some enjoyable performances. Uh, so overall, I would say that season five is off to an interesting beginning. That, that it is. And on that note, should wrap it up. I'm yeah. I'm looking forward to diving into uh, diving into next week. Me too. Yeah, Noel Ruderon will be an interesting one to talk about. There's a, there's a lot of good stuff uh, yeah. in the episode, and, and like I said, some good stuff that branches out of the episode. Out there, yeah. So thank you for uh, listening, everyone. We're bringing in a much shorter episode this week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're we're saving yeah. we're saving your data. This week. If you still haven't finished Lee Harvey Oswald, we understand. Yeah, uh, but but for, for for anyone out there, uh, you know, again, we we always appreciate and value your feedback. So if you hated every single second of that three and a half hours and you wish that you had them back, you can you can tell us. Let us you know. Really can. Let if, us know if you loved it. If you agreed with us, awesome. Let us know. If you agree with some of it, let us know. Yeah, we love hate. We yeah, love whatever. we love love. But yeah. 
We love the, love most of all. We love love most of all. And on that note, let's be glad here. Yeah, have a good week, everyone.